The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Once upon a time, I was of the mind. Welcome back to Not a Miami Nice. We're back in the taxi cab. We're in LA. We're dodging coyotes. I'm behind the wheel, which no one wants. No one wants to drive with me. It, I'm not a good driver. Yeah, Katie. Yeah, Katie. I've got some <laughs> Except audio evidence to prove For otherwise. that one time when I was with Maria Lewis. Anyway. In the back of the cab, he is on a mission to kill a bunch of people. <laughs> His yeah. name is Blake Howard. Hey, Welcome, Katie. Blake. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I w- I'm ready. I'm ready to murder. I'm ready to manipulate. I'm ready to quote I Ching. I'm ready to You're ready to. Jazz. I'm ready. <laughs> to drop some bodies. Drop some bodies. And we have another wonderful guest hopping in the cab for a taxi cab confessions, a collateral confessions, a great writer here based in LA, friend of mine. When he sent me an image, a picture of him dressed as fanning for collateral, as from collateral for Halloween, I said, do you want to be on my podcast? You're just applauding. <laughs> All those um, words I didn't know I needed to hear in a sentence together. When my friend sent me their fanning dress up Halloween for Halloween, costume? I was yeah. like, yeah, oh, that's a that's a person we've got to have on this show. Today we have Zach Vasquez, a film writer, a staff writer at Crooked Marquee, and a writer for places like The Guardian and Fangoria. Zach, thank you so much for being here on our podcast today. Thanks for coming, Zach. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, Zach was also at the Vice Summit, mm. which we are calling the uh, Miami Vice uh, Inherent Vice screening. I don't know if you went to Inherent Vice. Uh, I did not. I wasn't able to make that one, but yeah, I was but at the Miami Vice. You were at Miami Vice, so uh, thank you for for being a part of the crew of Thanks operatives. For, Thanks for your support. Thanks for oh, coming absolutely. along. And I, I hope it was a, I hope it was amazing in that crowd. Katie hooping and hollering as we just recently <laughs> debriefed heard about Katie's hooping and hollering in the screening. I yeah, don't know it was if a it, great screening, packed house, great audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, obviously we've we've we had a great night. Mojitos were involved. <laughs> um, I couldn't resist screaming at the end, and apparently before, which I w- didn't even realize was uh, <laughs> happening, just emerged from my body involuntarily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna talk collateral today. Uh, is this your favorite Michael Mann movie, or is it Miami Vice, or is it Heat? Uh, I think I have to go with Heat. I, I don't think anything yeah. really tops that for me. I, I think it's just too epic and perfect. Um, but I think after that, uh, yeah, this is probably this is probably my favorite after that. Um, so I, I can go back and forth on a couple other ones. Manhunter. It's between this and Manhunter for me. Oh, are you uh, going to Manhunter tonight? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I'm not making that one either, okay. unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I've seen that in the theater a couple times at other rep screenings. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, but uh, it depends if I watch this or Manhunter, whichever I've watched last, it kind of takes that spot. Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have, I have that all the time, Zach. I say, I say on this podcast, I go, it's heat, and then pretty much for me now, it's kind of like a massive car crash mm -hmm. for what's next because on any given day. I watch Miami Vice, I'm like, that's the best movie ever made. Then I watch Insider, I'm like, that's the best movie ever made. And I watch Mohicans, I'm like, that's the best movie ever made. I just can't. I can't. There's no rhyme or reason. I just know for you soy boys, the black hat is down in the ranks. He's not they're not he's not fighting, he's not punching up with those some of those heavyweights up the top there. But we love you, soy boys. We love it. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I I kind of I, I love Black Hat. So. Oh, well, it's good. Yeah, I'm glad. I don't know that it would be in my top, but I I I love it. It took me a while to actually get around to it um, because I just you know I missed it in the theaters, and then I heard a lot of mostly negative things, and I I wasn't a fan of Public Enemies, although I feel like that's due a rewatch. Um, so it took me a while when I saw it. I was like, no, this is this is great. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what everyone's issue is with this one, but yeah, no. So I love that one. Um, yeah, I love I love all of them except for, like I said, Public Enemies kind of left me cold. The only time I've seen it, I probably I probably owe it a rewatch. Did you though. see it, Zach, in the theater? Public Enemies? No, I, I've missed the last couple. I'm gonna not miss Ferrari uh, this no, time, yeah. but yeah, I I think the last one that I've seen, I think the only Michael Mann movie that I've actually seen in the theater on its first run is Collateral. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it took me for some reason. Even though he's one of my favorite filmmakers, a couple of them have taken me a while to get to. It took yeah. me a while to get to Ali. Um, it took me a while to get to uh, uh, Black Hat, and uh, I think Miami Vice I saw pretty much when it hit video, but I missed it in the theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So talk about that time seeing Collateral in the theater. I mean, were you in LA at the time, or like what was was it just hitting for you on that LA noir Tom Cruise Michael Mann mashup that that works for me so well? Like what was that like? <laughs> yeah, I think um, so. I would have been uh, it's let's see, that's what two thousand and six, right? Four. Four. Two thousand four. Okay, so that would have been either um, I would have been either it, finishing up high school or at the beginning of college. Um, depending on what month it came out, I can't remember. Uh, it might've been the summer between actually. Uh, and at that point I knew, I was I was somewhat familiar with man's filmography. I think I, I definitely had seen Heat. I definitely had seen The Insider uh, and probably Mohicans and a couple other ones. I don't know if I'd have seen, I don't think I would have seen Thief at that point, but probably Manhunter. Back then it was but, hard though. 2004, yeah. a lot of people don't realize Thief was hard to get your hands on. Like mm -hmm. people had VHSs and they were like, treasure like yeah look, look at what i mean i, I was a pretty big VHS. <laughs> yeah i was a pretty big like movie nerd collector i think i i think by that point i probably had like a region free dvd early region free yeah. dvd player and stuff so i might have seen i might have been able to track it down by that point but i can't remember um so i i i, I wasn't a completist though at that point so I don't know that I really had that much expectations going into collateral except mm. knowing that like okay i like at least a couple of this director's movies and this is like a big, you know, what's funny watching it now is it's so, it's such a like small movie, you know, like it's DV yeah. and it's, you know, there's some big, there's some shootout scenes, but there's no, you know, and a, one car crash scene, but it's not like a tentpole action movie, but because it came out when it did and it's starring Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, it felt like, you know, a big major release. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't the type of thing I think at the time I was 
as excited about as say like a new movie from you know paul thomas anderson or quentin tarantino or any of the you know young bro filmmakers that you know were popular at that time where you know you're you're just waiting on their next movie with bated breath uh so i went in you know just to a multiplex it would have been in la county uh i'm from technically i'm from whittier um mm -hmm. which is la but it's la county um oh yeah uh i like whittier mm -hmm. i think whittier shows up in uh maybe heat for a second uh I, i'm pretty sure it, Whittier Boulevard shows up in at least one or two man movies. Um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, I saw like a multiplex, a regal multiplex, and I just really liked it, I think. Uh -huh. I think we all liked it. It's just one of those movies. Like, that's a, that a damn good movie. Um, right. As like an 18-year-old just being like, movies, love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, if only we could keep that same energy. Like Ben David Grabinski's like the guy in the world that keeps <laughs> yes. that same energy. Like, movies, love them. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, uh, I saw him so I saw him yesterday at the screening. He didn't see me, so... If he's listening to this, oh look, <laughs> Zach, you're hot off the you're hot off the press of the abyss screening. How yeah. was that? At, oh, that person? was amazing. I'm sorry, sorry to digress. Let's digress on the abyss. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was it was amazing. For those who don't know, uh, Beyond Fest is a yearly LA film festival, um, and they did a screening last night of the new restoration director's cut of the abyss with the man himself, James Cameron, there doing Q and A. I mean, I'd never really seen the abyss before. I'd seen bits and pieces of it um enough to where i've been like yeah i've seen it but i never saw the director's cut and i never saw it like all at once let alone in theaters like i don't know how that movie is not up there with like titanic and avatar in terms of just the most mind-blowing like it's mind-blowing it's insane uh it's great yeah you know like you feel some of its length it's not a perfect movie by any means but it's one of those movies that like it doesn't need to be perfect it's so big and it's so cool and it's so interesting uh and yeah seeing it on the uh the the westwood village regency screen was amazing mm -hmm. um cameron was great very you know very uh very fun very he he was very uh he was very into it he was you know just listening to him he'll go off into like a technical jargon thing for like five minutes but it's so fun watching it um so did yeah, he time. talk about how he almost died yes. making this movie yeah <laughs> He, he told the story of uh, his his oxygen or his uh I his love tanks this. filling up, breaking when he was underwater, and then he couldn't signal anyone, so he had to try to come up. But one of the diving uh, like safety people didn't realize that his mask was full, so they were trying to hold him down because if you come up too quickly without knowing how to do it, you get the bends. But he said he knew how to do it. And so they gave him like uh, I I don't know any technical jargon. They gave him another like oxygen thing, but it was broken, and they didn't realize that. So they're holding him down, and he's choking in water and breathing. And the only way that he managed to survive was by punching that guy in the face. Yes. <laughs> I not. He did not, however, tell the story of Ed Harris punching him in the face. Okay. When he finished shooting the movie. So. <laughs> did Ed Harris punch him in the face? Just like for just just for fun for not for, for fun but just like for... okay we ended this movie <laughs> bye i'm i'm pretty sure i don't know all the details i just know like ed harris does not talk about that movie and oh as much as as much as cameron yesterday was like i think we had you know not a fun time on it but like everyone put their best work in and we all have good memories like i don't know if that's necessarily true uh, <laughs> from what i've heard from whatever but uh i mean the yeah. work's all there on screen yeah. James Cameron. James Cameron built different. I love those stories. I can't get an, I can't get enough of them. I but, know. Uh, but Zach, you said something which I thought was really cool where you called where you bundled Tarantino, like because at that time, like 2000s, it was like Tarantino, you know, even Rodriguez and 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 mm -hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson. You called them young bros. And I love that 
probably in this cohort and maybe in the listeners as well, we're really, we're really down for the old bros. So like Cameron <laughs> Scorsese, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Mann, like, I mean, Cameron's like just in the tip of that old bro. Like he's yeah. like, he's right on the crest because obviously he's making movies, mid eighties, man's making movies, mm-hmm. mid eighties, you know, they're kind of around them, but you can go all the way back to it. Like Frankenheimer who like precedes the mm-hmm. Scorsese's and the Lucas's and the Coppola's and, but then they kind of become this like amorphous cohort over a, a couple decade period um but yeah i love hearing about the old bros speaking of the old bros get them out there get keep <laughs> well, making movies I, you damn beautiful bastards we love you yeah i've always found that man and cameron are very similar in a lot of ways yeah like, technicians uh, like technicians, really they're technicians uh yeah. they're both they both seem like they're kind of like hard asses not in the not in the frankenheimer way you mentioned frankenheimer and frankenheimer i love frankenheimer frankenheimer yeah. is one of my favorites and you see the dna of his movies in both of theirs um but Frankenheimer is known as like a guy who like screams and yells a lot on set and is like kind of like a, a director that today would probably be called like, you know, a tyrant or abusive to his cast. Not not in like necessarily a physical. He is way. Michael Bay's father after all, as the rumor mill will have <laughs> you believe. Michael Bay's father, yes. <laughs> yep. Katie's eyes just well. Oh, I mean, this. I knew I knew there was rumors about his parentage, but yeah, I didn't that's realize a, that, it was Frankenheimer. That's, that's the rumor that it's <laughs> Michael Bay and Frankenheimer, and you look at both of their movies, and you look at their style, and you're like, it tracks. Well, you look at you look at both of them, and yes. they, they look pretty similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't think you know, I don't think Cameron and Mann have that exact reputation, but they certainly have reputations for being like perfectionists and guys who can be, you know, they're not guys that you you know you you want to like mess with. I think like in, mm. in terms of that, but like beyond the, the the technical parts of it, I just think that there's a similar man is more of a stylist he's more of like a hyper stylist but you see a lot of like you can watch a scene from a man movie or an early kid before man i mean the way that they both embrace digital technology though yeah is very similar too um but you can watch certain scenes in their movies and be like you know i could see this this if you told me this was directed by the other one i could totally see it and uh yeah i've just always felt that it was like a thing where it's like those two guys don't you don't hear them compared a lot but I think that there's a lot of uh, shared DNA in their movies. And I also think they're both like technicians and perfectionists and very demanding, but they but they would never demand anything of anyone that they wouldn't do themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's like the, uh, the the Vince McMahon thing. Like, <laughs> say what you will about him. Say what We've you will about him. We've just connected James Cameron, Vince McMahon, <laughs> and Michael Mann, and yeah. I'm really down for it. Like, I really <laughs> like that. That... Speaking of writing at Crooked Marquee, that's a fucking essay, Zach. That's an essay that I would read tomorrow. Yeah, oh say what you will about him, but uh, but like he won't ask you to do anything that he will not for you know personally demonstrate. Yeah. To himself. Right. I think like that abyss story is the the mm-hmm. epitome of the Cameron uh, putting himself on the line in that way. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. By the way, Rebecca Keegan's book about him is it's called The Futurist. It's very good and it has all those fun behind the scenes stories. So. Oh, oh great. I, I want to check that out too. Yeah. It's a real. It's a fun read and she got a lot of access to him. So it's a, it's a good book. Nice. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I remember re- like. Uh, the whole chapter on the abyss i think i was just reading it like what the fuck yeah <laughs> and he was like going through a divorce with gail and Hurd, mm-hmm. who was his producer and like oh god and it's all i feel like all of that is on the screen too in terms of the relationship stuff um also just another yeah, digression oh, gail sure. and Hurd's twitter right now is fire it's absolutely fire. <laughs> she's, fu- she's, she's so also good. posting the hell out of uh, on blue sky <laughs> 
Well, yeah, well, I can't keep up, Katie. You know this. Oh. Um, so uh, what, what I was going to say, though, so we've, we've, we were like young bro Zach, formative uh-huh. years Zach, mm-hmm. finding collateral, talking about you collecting these movies, sort of theatrically at some point. I think I was a little bit like uh, both of both of you guys in that I think the first maybe big movie I actually legitimately saw was The Insider when I was young and it was uh, dragging along with a parent like just like I was in late stage of high school and I didn't really know that it was like I didn't put two and two together that it was Michael Mann but it was Al Pacino and it was like a story about the tobacco industry and and so it was like okay yeah we'll go to that one and then every year like except for Black Hat in Australia because it's theatrical lease got pulled like seven days out from the movie being released um um that's the only one that i haven't seen in theaters um and i think to this point i haven't seen the keep or jericho in a rep screening but i think i've seen everything else or at some form of rep screening now so it's it's always super exciting but now you as like a professional writer i want to know like how it's cauterized because i think that that's what's amazing about this movie that you can kind of passively watch it when you still have all of your hope and your buoyancy is like i love movies and and we can all be beaten down with the industry sometimes and with the discourse it's so you know um a friend of the show jordan harper was like i almost i almost w- waded into the discourse last night and then i and then i had a refreshing drink and i, I felt so much better <laughs> like you just like it's like it was like i was like you're so tempted all the time to talk nonsense but i, I would love if you could talk about how you've now started to reframe it especially considering some of your other great writing on man which we're going to we want to get to in this episode with you as well yeah absolutely uh first can i just say though uh i i there's a number of his that i haven't yet seen in rep screens but i did somehow manage to catch a rep screening of the keep which was really cool wow oh was that at the new beverly yeah that was at the new beverly i i went to that I don't know. It was like a year ago or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a year ago. Yeah. So like surprisingly I've seen that one which is hard to, you know, <laughs> but uh yeah, but um I think like I said like at the time when it came out I just thought it was a cool movie. I thought it was, you know, really good. Um I think maybe I was a little thrown off by the DV because it was so new that yes. that that style. Um you know, a couple uh, let's see that's a year or two later. Is it 2000 and Maybe a little bit, uh, or maybe it's the same year that Inland Empire by David Lynch comes out. Well, yeah, I'll check the dates on that. You I think might that's be spot on with that. I can't remember if that's 2006 or if it's a yeah, few 2006. Years. So okay. same year as Miami Vice. So a couple same years year. later, it's it's there. It's it's mm-hmm. it's in the it's in the color. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I mean, th- so you started seeing these movies coming. I was I still am like Lynch, is like my hero. So that one I was very taken with. Uh, and so I quick digression. I, I, Justin Theroux yeah. in the same year is in Inland Empire, Miami Vice. What a oh, fucking wow. year! Yeah. What a year! <laughs> Seriously, what a year for <laughs> Justin Theroux. Yeah. And I think he was dating Jennifer Aniston. So what a win! Wins, wins. No, wins. I think Jennifer Aniston came later. I'll later. But sorry, sorry. I'll I'll double check that I'll, fact. I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah, go, <laughs> keep going. Keep going, Zach. Uh, but yeah, it's just so I think like I was kind of thrown off by that DV look. Uh, back in the day and I think I, I appreciated it in Inland Empire at the time because it's so off-putting and yes. intentionally like you know uh, uh, uncanny in that and then but seeing like a slick action movie with Tom Cruise with it I, I don't know how I felt at the time now I watch it one of the things is like I watch those movies now um, or Miami Vice or a couple other maybe smaller indies that are shot that way and after you know almost 20 years of digital cinema that looks smooth I love it now. Like it, 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 there's intention behind 
Yes. Every frame in there and the the lighting and, and the DV look like it has style. At the yes. time, I don't think I really recognized it for the style that it was. I just kind of saw it as like a new technology that made movies look a little different. Um, or, you know, I watch a Tony Scott movie now, which at the time <laughs> I probably wasn't a big fan of uh, and have since come around very heavily on that. But yeah, like after, after you know, the intervening decades of, you know, just like uh, smooth digital cinema, I like this sharp at times, grainy at times, handheld DV. Like it's just, it, it it's more stylized than most things you see now. Um, yes. And and I, I appreciate it, especially coming from someone like Man, who watching it yesterday is just like, man, these are, uh, these compositions are incredible. Like to get this, uh, with like a handheld DV camera is insane. Um, and he, you know, it, you make a great point, Zach, because it's Katie and I have come on this. It's like, it's form. So do you like DV the look, but it's also function, you know? And yeah. I think that he was like, no, I know what the form is and what it enables me to do. And, and, the things that it doesn't let me do, it's not smooth. It doesn't resemble 35 millimeters. So it, it can't be lit the same way. And it, and it's, it's spectrum of light that it's registering. It's vastly different and it registers differently when you do the final product. But in that time, like you said, there's an unsettling thing that's happening with Inland Empire and man in those early ones, when he's using this digital photography, he's like form and function are fused together. So the style comes through because I want to be more immediate. I want to be closer. I need cameras that are in tight in a cab. Um, you know, because when you're trying to shoot on 35 millimeter film or you're trying to shoot on like, you know, you hear great stories about Oppenheimer with Nolan and stuff. When you're shooting with an IMAX camera and you're trying to shoot in a confined space, the camera takes up half the fucking room. Like these right. are huge mm -hmm. things. And, you know, you see this great behind the scenes shots of like some wonderful shots of like Cillian Murphy's face. You know, you see the meme mm -hmm. to death, but like you look at the camera behind him and the camera's like the size of a small car. It's like a little yeah. Toyota mm -hmm. behind him. And it's a guy like driving the Toyota, which is the camera. And so in with, with collateral, you're completely free. Um, and, and yeah. I've tracked, I've charted it to the point, And this is cause I'm a Zodiac psycho as well. Um, Fincher kind of taught people how to make digital photography with the Viper rig that he used in Zodiac he taught them how to make it look like film and then from that moment yeah then people try to make it look like film. it's all film it just never it never resembles this sort of stuff again or, or it does in pops up <clears> now and then but it's they're, they're always trying to cheat it and go no I'm using a digital camera because it's cheaper but I want it to look like film yeah and I feel like with someone like Fincher or you know this there's, there's other directors that do it well uh Ryan Johnson I think does it well uh you know some other ones where they're using digital, making it look like film, but they're such good craftsmen that it works. But most of the time, I feel like directors use it that way, but then they don't spend any real time on like composition of shots. Yes. It's just quick, quick, quick. Yeah. You know? and, and so you just get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, back and forth shots or like setups a lot of drone shots overhead of it you know and it's just like oh god like i i would this would be better if this had like the grain to it because then at least there's some texture to it but like if this technology is allowing you to make it look a certain way but you're not focused on lighting and you're not focused on composition uh and you know mizzen scene that much and you're just taking advantage of it to do quick setups and quick shot like 
I don't know. Like, I, I feel like we're in the least uh, stylistically interesting period for film. Um, and it's true. You know, yeah. It actually uh, is quite true. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's because digital looks a certain way. I think it's because it has allowed directors to kind of get lazy, but man is never lazy. Yeah. Right. I think that's a good point. Like, I do think that people do get a little lazy because they think they're like, oh, well, fix it in post or we'll just like get a ton of coverage and like see what happens or like oh it's handheld we're just gonna like make it shaky cam like immediate visceral blah 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 throw in some drones throw in some cgi yeah <laughs> choo 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 we're done but um yeah like i watch like older stuff and i'm like look at how this fucking camera's moving yeah like, that shit is blocked and <laughs> planned i mean i just was re-watching clips from Spielberg's West Side Story, and I was like, "What the <laughs> hell?" Yeah, I mean, Janus snapped. <laughs> like, even when it's even when it's not a movie from someone like Spielberg, like uh, I was, I think it was Arlington Road. I was watching recently, like a good movie, and yeah. I like the director. I've actually I've spoken to the director a couple times, yeah. you know. But like, that's a movie where just there's this like swooping crane shot. For, mm -hmm. for just Jeff Bridges giving a reaction. That's the yeah. reason that's it's just a crane shot, a swooping crane shot that's to crazy. get a reaction from him. And it's like, they just bust that out of nowhere in like old movies, you uh -huh. know, like old like, you know, mid budget uh, movies for adults. And like, you never see that now. You yeah. never see anything like that now. Someone shared a clip on Twitter recently from Varsity Blues. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, look at this fucking dolly zoom mm -hmm. in yeah. Varsity Blues. And it's like in three minutes, it's like canted angles, dolly zoom, like all this stuff. You're like, they were going off in, yeah. <laughs> in, in Varsity fucking Blues. Um, and yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, is it just because digital cinematography like makes people like think they can just like grab coverage and not have to put a lot of like planning into things or like what is it i mean i don't want to like talk shit about everyone but but, but we've we've occasionally talked about the berg not mark Wahlberg as much but peter berg who peter actually is in this movie and in yeah. he he makes in 2004 so same year as collateral he makes friday night lights he directs another uh, one that uses yeah another one that uses digital pretty well really well and yeah. his thing that that style, he, he kind of pioneered this style of, especially because you've got a big ensemble cast and often they're having, you know, especially coaches and players having these heated conversations, charged up, emotionally charged. We're going to go play this big game, et cetera. Um, he would have these wonderful shots where he'd have like pretty much constantly three cameras rolling handheld that had a little bit of like sway about them. And it, it meant that every new take, all of the actors would have to be engaged and blocked right because they knew that at any point they were in the coverage and in the scene and they were, their reaction shots were happening live and they couldn't manufacture them. It wasn't like traditional coverage where it's like, I'm going to go get the coverage. I want this. It kind of created that kinetic energy. And then he goes and does it for Friday Night Lights, the series, which is, I think, an amazing, amazing series. And he goes and does that as the pilot episode and sort of sets the template. This is how we're doing this show. This is how the voice of this show digitally. And, and, yeah, I think so many filmmakers like miss that. Now it's just like, you know, it, it takes like very recently I saw the, uh, the uh, Gareth Edwards, the creator. Um, mm -hmm. uh, saw a screening of that it's, it costs 80 million bucks to make. That movie makes a couple of actually log listed $250 million movies look like hot garbage. Mm -hmm. Like this little $80 million movie that largely is shot in different locations with augmented like little bits and paintings and like, you know, you know, digital 
matte paintings, et cetera, happening in the background to change stuff, you know, physical makeup that's happening there and little slight augmentations with technology, man, it looked amazing. And I was like, Oh, there's a guy who like, actually, you know, yeah. he comes it from looks amazing. It looks amazing. Yeah. looks great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the way that, that you're describing that, like what Berg is doing, it sounds very similar to like the way Cassavetes would shoot. Yes. And, you know, Cassavetes, the, 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 you know, the word on him was always like, okay, his movies are not like visually impressive, but they're this human teardrop. I don't know. I watch a Cassavetes movie now and it looks gorgeous to me. Yes. Uh, because it's like, yeah, you're maybe not spending all this time setting up all these shots and composition. You know, it's not the same as, as like more stylized directors, but that the way that you're using that, like I'm getting, I'm using these different cameras and you have to be, you don't know when you're coming in and out. So like you have to be, that's a stylistic choice in and of itself. Yes. Yeah. Whereas now I feel like so many filmmakers just use kind of like a shaky cam type thing to give it a feeling of like authenticity, but there's no real authenticity in the setup. And also or you now can you practically can make like, you can predict when they're going to use it. Like uh -huh. the voices are getting raised. Okay. Shaky cam or what you exactly. can kind of like, it feels very, cookie cutter yeah. and that's yeah sense. and now shaky cam's a feature yeah you know you can just like right click in an editing oh really and shake know, yeah. and it just does some stuff and you're like oh gross or they use it or they use it as a cheat for an action scene mm. shake yes. the camera no one we don't have to do a blocking like i don't want oh, like, liam neeson climbing a fence and taking three with his like 31 <laughs> yeah. cuts one of the yeah, greatest there's a there's a couple popular horror movies recently i you know i don't want to talk trash of films that like people like but it's like i watch them and it's like they just shaking the camera in like the kill scene because they don't have to do anything else they don't whereas, have to do any choreography yeah whereas you watch like collateral and it's like no he's keeping this camera still on a lot of those action scenes <laughs> yeah. like he's moving it around when it's in, when it needs to be moved around to give you the series but like when cruz is you know killing people in the club like that camera is pretty like held fast so you can see what he's actually doing but, and uh, you know every single inch of the geography of that club and where he is in relation to the target and uh max and fanning like no, there's no confusion in that scene no. yeah or i think my favorite shot in collateral is uh like it's a quick cut but it's a still shot of when he throws the chair through the window when he's chasing uh max and and yeah and he throws the chair through the window and jumps at the same time and lands on the chair and then falls over. Yes. Uh, it's such a like realistically looking like insane stunt. Yeah. Uh, and it's a quick shot, but the, but it's a still shot. So you see exactly like, yeah. you get exactly what happened there. It's not confusing at all. It's so great. It, it's so cool that you're like, wait, what did I just see? Like, did I see what I think I just saw? Like him mm -hmm. crashing with the chair at the same time on it and then like come go and then you i rewound it yesterday when i was rewatching. it's like yep that's exactly what it is uh the impression you get is exactly what you see we'll be right back after this quick break I love when Tom Cruise and I think and Michael Mann does this too. Like we were we have been talking about Michael Mann and Tom Cruise being both being crazy perfectionists and like why this movie is so great because it's you know, they're just like peanut butter Ma and jelly or chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah. But uh of their like crazy perfectionism. But 
I think what they both do in really interesting ways is like either plan or leave flaws in mm-hmm. to give it a sense of either authenticity or craftedness, humaneness, um, that it's not super slick. Like I think Tom Cruise does this in the Mission Impossible movies really well where you like see him look scared or there's a moment where he doesn't know what to do or like something wobbles and I love that he falls when he throws the chair because that's when he's in his like crazy predator mode where he's as we say Jason Voorhees um just like eyes black total predator um and to see him fall or like mess up is is to remind you that he is a human being that that this is real and it's it reminds me a little bit of like one man like lets the camera drift um after um John Hawks gets killed in in Miami Vice and mm-hmm. you you think it it's like it, you don't think it's a mistake but it's like a weird moment where the camera like drifts past Jamie Foxx and looks onto the road it's like just a moment to be like wait whoa what's this and then yeah. you kind of have to take note of it you have to take note of the windsock and you're like why am I looking at a windsock and then it, and then John Hawks steps in front of a truck and you're like no and then it's, yeah and then that beautiful cut blood smear to the back of a you know ferrari or whatever they're driving it's so it's such an amazing cut it's blending i think what they both do really well is like blend perfection and total perfect craftsmanship with these little uh moments of flaws or what you might perceive as like a mistake or something to like remind us that you know yeah there's a there's a i think it's a Japanese term for that. I'm probably messing oh, up. Oh, like the um the gold. It's like, you... I don't think it's wabi sabi, but it's something oh. it's very similar to that, where it's like the intentional not the intentional or the intentionally left in flaw mm, that like mm-hmm. brings out the rest. Like um Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, like the best example is like in fashion, like a tie dimple, you know. Mm. Yeah. Like a, a dimple in the tie looks better than you know one of those than uh, like a flat one than the flat one that like sports commentators and Republican <laughs> politicians would be, want the dimple. So and um, you get that, yeah, you get that a lot in man movies. Okay, I, well now we have a term for it. We're gonna call it the dimple. We're gonna call it the tie dimple. <laughs> That's it. So like, what has this like rewatching this over the years? Like, what sticks with you, or like what keeps you coming back? Because I think this is one of the most rewatchable man movies because it just like flies it has so much momentum and um i don't think there's like any excess on it so what's keeping you coming back to collateral yeah i agree with that i think the uh structure of the movie the kind of one crazy night structure of it uh you know those movies are just inherently rewatchable i feel like um i think that the uh the the amount of like just cool characters that pop in and out of this really quickly always stays with me and then the more I watch it, the more the, the two lead performances uh, get me so much. Like, Cruz is so good playing a... He's not playing against type, like, but he's just adding this, like, sociopathic edge to one of his own characters. But, like, the moments where you see that shield break down, where he sees the coyote and has a moment or when Max calls him out on some things and you see that break or when he's conflicted about how much he clearly likes Max. Um, I think that, that that thing adds a level of like pathos to the movie 
yes. that without it uh, would still be a fun rewatchable movie, but would not have the impact to draw you in. In the same way, I think Jamie Foxx's performance is even better um, because he is such a perfect everyman um, in that like you really get a sense of who this guy is. You can deeply relate to him and then watching him turn into the like the accident like the, the hero uh it just feels so earned um you know the scene that everyone always talks about is when he's in the club with javier bardem and he has to do that twist and i love that scene it's a great scene but for me probably the biggest moment the best moment in the movie the best scene and the best piece of acting is after that when they're driving away and he starts throwing uh vincent's words back at him about how life is meaningless and it's all just chaos as he's speeding up and you see vincent start to get scared and then him being like, all right, fuck. Like, to me, that is such a great hero moment and such a great, like, building up of emotion to this cathartic moment. It's one of the great, like, fist pumping scenes. And I don't think that works without all of the, 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 uh, the groundwork and the foundation that Fox has laid in that performance up to that point. Doesn't matter anyway. We're all insignificant out here in this big ass nowhere. Twilight Zone shit. Says the badass sociopath in my back seat. But you know what? It's the one thing I gotta thank you for, bro, because until now, I never looked at it that way. Don't fucking fix it. What do we got to lose anyway, right? Slow down. What? Well, shoot. You gonna pull the trigger and kill us? Go ahead and shoot my ass. Slow the hell down. You gonna, you gonna shoot me? You gonna shoot me now? You gonna kill us? Huh? Well, shoot my ass then. Huh? Shoot me. Slow down. Right. You know what, Vincent? Go fuck yourself. Slow down yeah. like yeah it's just like it's the first time <laughs> that he's like he shows it like a crack of fear slow down yeah. and he starts he's winding up he's winding up and he's saying all the time he's like slow down and he's like winding. you know it's a fuck yeah <sighs> that the way the way the man shoots that the way the music cuts in and out, i mean i'm always a giant fan of man's use of score and music uh i love it all i love some of the like choices that some people would maybe like Thing. Okay, say more. Say more. Audio slave. Yes. I like audio slave. Yeah, I love audio slave. <laughs> Unashamedly with you, Zach. Yeah. I I was the right age when audio slave came out. 
and uh, I still kind of like them quite a lot. Uh, and I, but like, there's something about Audio Slave that is perfect for man in that, like, what I what I've come to appreciate more, and maybe there was a time when I thought it was maybe a fault of his movies, but I now see it as one of their greatest strengths is he is so like, yeah, he's this technical perfectionist. Yes, his stories have this like kind of clockwork precision and he's not what you would call, he's not like a uh, improv improvisational like storyteller in that, you know, he's not a loose storyteller. Um, and he's a genre guy for the most part, but like he is all about emotion and he's all about human relationships. And yes. he's very, he's very like, he wears all that stuff on his sleeve. And he also wears uh, his like this, sense of mythos there's a sense of like mythos to all of his movies like this very film noir like we're not going to be like ironic or cool about it we're going to be very like uh you know like just in, in a way that's like i like guys in uh long dark trench coats i think that looks cool <laughs> i don't i'm not using it ironically i think it looks cool and there's a similar sense of that with like audio slave where there's songs you know like i am the highway and like but you know it's very uh there's this like mythic quality that they don't ever try to distance themselves from by being too cool for it right ironic about it it's very romantic both like that music and his movies are very romantic and he's you know so he's like that guy like yeah, criminals hang out in clubs. Like it's, I mean, they don't probably right. don't in real life. Like you're not gonna catch like a, you know, actual like mob boss on a Wednesday night probably in a club. Like probably not. Like that's you know that's a movie idea, but it's a cool idea, and he milks it for all it's worth. You know, and I think that the way that he uses music, like, does it sound cool? Does it give you this emotional? kick it doesn't have to be you know the coolest music in the world it doesn't have to be something or it doesn't have to be ironic like yeah. there's so many I, i'm just thinking of like so many of the sort of irony drenched action comedies of the past few years where they're like gonna use a pop song or mm -hmm. like uh you know, like a doo-wop song or something and like the sound drops out and they're playing you know some incongruous song i can't even like i don't know i'm just like is it bullet train or like what what are these yeah, movies yeah, yeah. like something like in that vein yeah but and everything is winky and I ironic and i almost think that like maybe that's why miami vice didn't hit at the time is because like everyone was expecting it to be winky and ironic and the way you're supposed to take that movie is like with total sincerity yeah well one of my favorite things about miami vice uh that speaks to that is no cameos from the original cast. Yeah, not, yeah. not yes. like he's like, I'm not here to do a nostalgia trip. I am not here to do an ironic thing or like a thing for fans. Like this has nothing to do with fans, like blah blah blah. This is like I've always kind of I've I've I still have an attachment to the story because man's a guy guy who's like he'll redo his stories, you know, like yeah. he 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 did a test run of heat in LA Takedown. He uses a lot of the same uh plot devices or the same themes, you know, how many of his movies are about and I talk about this in a piece I think we're going to talk about soon, but yeah. like Jeremiah, like how many of his movies are about guys getting out of prison and then either trying to go straight or trying to stay out of prison and you know, what happens when they fall back into that? Like so many of them are about that. Uh, and you know, so he's, he, I think with like Miami Vice was a case of him just being like, yeah, I still have an attachment to that idea and that story and I want to tell it. I in no way give a shit about the, like whatever the fans of the original show are, 
or nostalgia or irony or anything like I am going to tell this like it's its own, you know, new original movie. And it works so much better for that. Like it'd be so groan inducing if, you know, Don Johnson or Michael Philip Hall showed up, uh, uh, you know, in that, like, I, you know, I like Don Johnson. I, I love Edward James almost. Uh, I'm sure. I would only, <clears throat> there's only one scene I would like them to be in is if they were just doing really hammy Russian accents at the beginning and then got <laughs> violently gunned down. <laughs> Cause that would be even more Michael yeah. Mann going yeah. like, Fuck your cameo <laughs> shit. If, yeah. if uh if like Mick G mm-hmm. made oh Miami oh God, Vice yeah. <laughs> The Venom when you just said Mick G. Oh. Sorry to Mick G. I I have I, I have to no there is, there is a I'm version just imagining the version. There's a version of that movie directed by Mick G. Same <laughs> same cast, because like Colin yeah, Farrell yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. makes much better choices, but you know, he's made a few, but in, in that period, he was making a few uh, iffy choices. And Jamie Foxx is always like, you know, hit or miss with his. But like, the there's a, yeah, there's a version of that movie from the same era starring the same people, but where they're dressed like they are in the original show and they're using 80 and everyone else around him is modern and making fun of them. And Limp Biscuit covers in yeah. the air tonight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's that's an insufferable movie that I'm glad we did not get. Uh, <laughs> You know, is it Limp Biscuit or is it is it someone else? Is it like the shade is strong? I think I think at that period, two thousand six. Oh, it's probably well. Australia or has is it really like great, Creed? Australia, or is oh, it um, no no no? I think no, it's, no. I, think it's Link, I think it. I think we keep. I think we stay with the same thing, and I, it's it's just it's Lincoln Park. Yeah, but it's them doing a version, which is probably not the worst thing in the world, but still, right. like, yeah, not quite as cool as just using their Jay Z. Uh, mix yeah. and dropping yeah. that yeah and immediately. Uh well yeah. I think it's I think it's uh, I think if it was McG it's Puff Daddy. Like uh, it's it's Puff Daddy like sampling Puff Daddy Collins. featuring Mace. <laughs> was Pit was Pitbull around then? Probably yes. that's a little before his time. Because if it was Pitbull today, would, or or Sean Paul yeah. would be okay, okay. in on Wait. the soundtrack. We've like workshopped the worst Wait, thing wait ever. Wait. The, uh, I, <laughs> I'm begging. I know our fans. You know who I'm talking to. You know the Discord people I'm talking to right now. I want a playlist on Spotify today that you listen to this called McG's Miami Vice. And I want you to put songs on it. And I'm going to listen to it all the time. I'm, I'm going to, maybe going to do this. Katie's going to do it. And she's going to share it. Make me a collaborator. And we are going to yes. add some tracks. We're going to get suggestions. Yeah. Zach's gonna, gonna be in there it. as well. If Zach's got his Spotify, Zach, account, send be... me some. Send me some suggestions. G's Miami Vice soundtrack is is like is the sequel to Katie's cringe bop soundtrack um, that she currently has a playlist for on Spotify. I, oh my god! I, I feel like as much as I love them, I think that Audio Slave is still in there. It, it's still there, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Yeah. I also think like probably Destiny's Child. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we're going too far down the road of <laughs> no, no, no. It would be bias. Kelly Kelly Rowland's by herself. It wouldn't be Destiny's oh. Child. <laughs> Not Kelly catching Sorry. a spray. Sorry. I think, I think in Kelly. the McG version, she maybe takes the uh, the role of, of Trudy. Uh, of Trudy. Yeah. Oh god, that's so good. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my uh, God. Okay. Um, so we were talking a little bit about man returning to his themes and working with the same people over and over again. And you wrote this great piece, which was very uh, educational for me about 
Edward Bunker and you sort of trace uh, so he was this con man who was a novelist and a screenwriter and he became a character actor but you sort of trace him and man's connection from is it straight story straight time straight time, straight time. which is an adaption that man was working on with Dustin Hoffman because Dustin Hoffman was going to direct it so they developed it and then I think man dipped out for I don't know maybe it was Miami Vice I can't really remember but it was around that time Miami Vice thief time that he bounces out of straight time um, after developing, you know, Eddie Bunker's life story. It is based on No Beast Too Fierce, no right? Beast straight too time? Fierce, yes. Yeah, uh, straight time. Novel by Eddie Bunker. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it was supposed to be Hoffman's directorial debut. He directed one day on set at um, Folsom Prison. It's, it's a movie that, like, there's some prison. It's not set in prison. It's about an ex-con who gets out of prison tries briefly to go straight the system screws him over he he's he's a th he's a he's basically uh you know the same james con character in the he's very similar uh like uber professional stoic guy uh and then yeah so he, he you know he falls back into the way you know his criminal ways and gets betrayed and blah, blah. it's a very good movie um very good set late 70s gritty crime movie there's a lot of early man stuff in it um so man is uncredited as the screenwriter on it uh, he came in and did uh, pass on the last draft, but it's one of those cases where it's like, okay, you can see what he added. You you, yeah. you can feel his fingerprints in that script. Um, but yeah, Hoffman last he directed one day. They went something like they didn't get any usable footage. <laughs> that is so me coded. Day. That is so me coded. I would. <laughs> that's me. I would be like, actually, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So they brought on uh, Uli Gospard, Gospard, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, um, Swedish director. I'm blanking on what else he's directed, but he has a couple other like movies that are either decently known or pretty good. I, I, I can't remember what else he did, but... Um, no, there's yeah. there's one there's one big... Um, so he did Straight Time. He's done like a couple of other ones, but the big one, I just want to... Um, he did Georgia, which is Academy uh, Award nominated for Mae Whitman. I, I, I think it is... Uh, no, sorry, May Win Mayor Winningham and Jennifer Jason Lee, which is a really terrific movie. Okay. Recently just came out. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, so George, George, George is a good one, yeah. And but kind of like all over the place. Um, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, the journeyman. Resume. Yeah. Yeah, the type of guy you bring in when like, yeah, Hoffman's. Like, when Hoffman you available? can't get one piece of usable footage. <laughs> That's <laughs> such a, imagine how that, that line just is destroyed. Like if that was in your obit, oh, he... Yeah tried his, his hand at directing but couldn't get a single frame of usable footage. I want a movie that's just one day on that set of Hoffman <laughs> not getting any footage in Folsom Prison. It can be a short. I just want to I just want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, but so uh, Man comes in and I, that's where he meets Eddie Bunker who also is working on the script. Bunker takes a small role in the movie. Um, people will know Eddie Bunker as Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, he's in yes, Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Um, and and also people will know Eddie Bunker because look at John Voight in Heat. Mm -hmm. It is Eddie Bunker. Like Google yeah. Eddie Bunker. Yeah, it's, he's it's Nate. It's, Nate yeah. is he's basically Eddie Bunker. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He looks exactly well. It's it's funny because him and Voight share a good amount of screen time in the great uh, canon film, uh, Runaway Train. I want to see that now after reading so your, um, article. I, I haven't seen, seen it. it. I never yeah. seen it either. It, it really, a lot people like Michael Mann movies. They will like this movie. An existential action crime. Right, you've got me. You've got me. There you set go. on a sold, runaway train. Sold. Existential and it's, crime. It's set on a runaway train. 
Mm-hmm. It's set on a runaway train with John Boyd and uh, Eric Roberts. Um, and Eddie Kurosawa. Bunker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kurosawa Eddie Bunker in the was well, going to direct it's, it's a, it? It's a prison break movie. It's two, it's two convicts break out of prison. So the first, like, the first, not quite the first third, but maybe the first 20, 25 minutes are set in prison. And then mm. the rest is on the train they escape onto. And as it goes, it run away. And the, like, evil warden is chasing them. Um, Bunker, uh, I think, helped with the script uh, and uh, was an actor. He was like a consultant on it. He's a consultant on a lot of prison movies because he spent so many years in prison for uh, robbery and drug dealing, armed robbery, bank robbery, uh, things of that nature, um, before he cleaned up and became an author. And and, and No, no yeah. Be So Fierce is still to this day considered like the great American mm-hmm. like book about the prison experience or like one of, like if you're building yeah. your top five of the great prison books that's it that's the one mm-hmm. yeah definitely um and yeah so uh runaway train is also where uh danny trejo kind of hooks up with man too because man doesn't have anything to do with runaway train uh but yeah it was originally supposed to be directed by kira kosawa ends up being directed by um i forget his name uh he's a russian guy he was i've got it right writer. here it's andre Konch, uh Konchalovsky. Konchalovsky. And known best known as the uh writer of a number of uh andre tarkovsky movies as well as the director of tango and cash director of tango and cash. i love that career trajectory yeah um writing for tarkovsky <laughs> directs tango and cash yep amazing uh, all great Ping. um so yeah. so trejo's in runaway train yeah because trejo uh knew bunker from their time in san quentin Love um and uh they they both had a connection on jericho mile which i'm sure we'll talk about in a minute but uh bunker is hanging out is is on set on runaway train trejo at that time is working in a program to help uh ex-cons uh in the drug addiction like a, a drug rehab for ex-cons and uh was a sponsor or, or just years. a drug addiction i think one mainly i don't know if it was ex-con focused but an actor like an extra on the set of runaway train was having issues so he called him so he shows up to this guy and bunker recognizes him they get to talking uh bunker gets him hired on as a like bit part um in that movie Mm -hmm. like a little bit more than a background actually you might have like one line in it Mm -hmm. and as well as eric roberts boxing coach because eric roberts character in that is a is a boxer uh and trejo was a prison boxer uh, and then from there, uh, he introduces him to Michael Mann, and he goes into and, heat, and yeah, then the rest. And is a long, history. fruitful relationship is born. Wait, so is Bunker Bunker's a consultant on Jericho Mile? Yes. So Jericho Mile, uh, if you want to jump into it, I can. Yeah, yeah please. Jericho Mile is Michael Mann's uh, first feature, but it's a TV movie, uh, right? In the seventies. It is about a uh, lifer in uh, Folsom Prison who uh, is in for killing his father. You find out why later. And he he's, he just kind of keeps to himself. He has like one friend in the prison and he spends most of his time running around the prison track. Uh, and they the prison officials uh, discover that like he might actually be the fastest runner in America. Like he might for the mile. He. he He's coming very close to breaking the record without even trying or like timing. He's not mm-hmm. professionally so, trained. He just does no. it. Yeah. Yeah. So they, the prison officials who interestingly in the movie, it's it's one of the rare cases where like prison officials are not like the villains are corrupt at all. Like they're, they're actually like 
some of the more sympathetic characters in the movie, they try to get him into the Olympics. Uh, so that's half of what the movie is. The other half is a really cool prison crime thriller because he, him and his friend accidentally crossed the Aryan Brotherhood. And so the Aryan Brotherhood is after them. And then there's like boilings over of like a race riot between the Aryan Brotherhood, the Mexican Mafia, and the Black Gorillas gangs. And so you have half of this like kind of a tearjerker. It never goes too far into that territory, but kind of a tearjerker, inspirational sports story. And then half basically Oz. Uh, and it's yeah. it's really, it's, it, he blends them amazingly well. Uh, and there's, you know, like every man movie, there's a lot of like existentialist themes to it. Mm -hmm. too, you know? Like the idea of a man running in a prison in like this unbreakable, you know, it's called Jericho Mile for a reason. And uh, it, uh, I think it's, I think it's a great movie. I honestly, like if I were to doing a top list of man films, it would maybe be in my top five. I think it's an incredibly underrated film. Uh, I think it's a really moving movie and a really cool one. It's got a great like 70s um, score where there's like a like kind of like a Mexican rock version of Sympathy for the Devil playing throughout it. That's um, really cool. Uh, great cast. Uh, I, I'm blanking on the lead uh, actor's names, but um, Brian Dennehy is uh, the like leader of the the Aryan Brotherhood. He's great in it. Uh, there's some other like familiar faces from Peter Strauss. Peter Strauss is the lead. Yeah, and, he's, has, and he's really good in it. Um, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, you can only watch it on YouTube. No, it's the only way I've ever found it. It's, no, it's, a, it's there a is there is a Blu-ray. Hold on, you guys talk for a second. I'm going to show you while we're talking, so you guys right. can get your eyes on it. Uh huh. Yeah, I saw it on YouTube. It's a bit great. Like the transfer is a little. It's not great, but it's watchable. You 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 okay. you're not gonna. It's not gonna like ruin the movie from watching it on there. Like you'll get. You you can still tell the yeah how well it's made. So mm -hmm. Kino Lorba brought out a blu-ray oh that you can get internationally it's 97 minutes long it has a uh lee gambin a film historian does the uh does the commentary track and i think it's like a uk release but you can get your hands on it and it's so worthwhile because yeah i had like an old crummy dvd rip for about 20 million years um that i finally tossed that disc once i got this blu-ray um but yeah it's really it's a really terrific movie yeah, highly like, recommend I it. That's one of my favorite endings in any man movie. Like the yeah. final shot is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, God, I'm like, you're just giving me all these movies I need to watch. I got like <laughs> a making my watch list. But I love the the way in that piece that you wrote for Crooked Marquee, just like kind of linking the Eddie Bunker of it all, like over the course mm -hmm. of all these different movies. And, and even like come sort of come, you brought it at the end, you sort of bring it back to luck, the series. Yeah. Well, so in Jericho Mile, what they did was they they wanted to film in uh, Folsom, mm -hmm. and they got permission, but with one caveat, which is like, look, it's a prison; things are going to happen. But the one thing that can't happen is a race riot. <laughs> there are a lot of tensions already boiling. You know, it's the seventies; it's like all over the place. They're like, if we have a race riot, we're going to have to shut down production, and you won't be able to start again. Like other stuff, we can we can you know work around regular sh everyday shankings is one thing, but like. <laughs> We cannot it have can't be a racially shanking. motivated yeah. shanking. <laughs> um, so what they did to ensure that wouldn't happen is man hooked up with Bunker, who he'd met previously on Straight Time, who uh, knew a lot of the guys in there and, you know, was kind of a celebrity now that he'd gotten out and done a movie and written a book, as well as uh, I think his name is Miguel Pinheiro, 
mm-hmm. a, a former con turned playwright. He did a uh, short eyes, which I, I won't even get into that one, but uh, just look up what that one is. Yeah. Um, so w- together with them, they basically, uh, yeah, they were consultants on the movie and they went to all of what they, what they call shot callers in prison, like, you know, influential guys, heads of the gangs and stuff, talked to them, made a deal with them, basically like hold off any race riots until this movie's done, you know, try to behave. And they all agreed. And like, you know, the prisoners are all in it. It was apparently according to man, it was like one of the smoothest shoots he's ever had. <laughs> I can't believe they shot in Folsom. Like yeah, I, it's all on location and you could tell too. That's crazy. Like did and they, they, had, they have had to empty out as, certain parts of it? Yeah. They're in uh, uh, mm-hmm. certain wings when they were doing yeah. things that had some stuff, but they had prisoners in there, like prisoners in the cast. And that's actually another time that, um, that Treo, so Treo in Heat yeah. is named Treo, obviously his name, but it's actually his uncle is in Jericho Mile. And when Eddie Bunker introduces man to Treo, he names him after his uncle because they had such a close relationship and a good relationship. He'd recently passed away. Um, but, he, you know, Danny Trejo like brings him, gets the role because man had such an affinity for his uncle and names the character Treo after him. Yeah, he uh Trail was one of his uncle Trail was one of those shot callers. Yes. During the making of the movie. So yeah, that's that's where they they come in. So, so good. Uh, yeah. And then yeah, and so you know, uh Bunker from there just kind of sticks around with man. He's a consultant on Heat. Uh obviously they base uh Nate. John Boyd's character, Nate, on him physically. Um I think he was a consultant on at least one other one. Uh that man made, but by this point, like Bunker is, you know, a well-known author. He's a well-known character actor. He's popping up in other things. Uh, Trejo obviously goes on to, uh, you know, show become like arguably the most well-known character actor of our generation. <laughs> yeah, like he'd, when he'd you be really right think up, he'd, he'd be it. right, he'd be right up there. Like it's, I don't know any other ones that have a like pretty famous taco chain. <laughs> and the donut chain there's, no, there's not a, just on their face and there's not a steve buscemi taco chain yeah you know, there's not I a mean, john malkovich no maybe samuel jackson is one who has made that yeah. jump a little bit like maybe him but he is the only one. J- sam jackson is like the guy who he's like zelig you know what i mean like he's just in yeah. fucking everything like yeah, and yeah. It, it, like he's in the tarantino movies he's in the marvel movies he's in star wars it's like no he's in movies that like everyone in the whole world should know who Samuel Jackson is. Yeah. No matter what your taste in movies is, there's a Samuel Jackson movie for you. Comedy, mm-hmm. like ridiculous, like comedy, like really dark, cool, indie, fantastic, like auteur cinema. And then like popcorn, 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 TV movies. Like he's, he's yeah. in it. Yeah. Same is kind of true of Trejo, uh, which is just interesting that him and Bunker, you know, they're so close with man. And then man goes back to that straight time template again and again. Yes. Uh, a guy getting out of prison, maybe trying to go straight or at least trying to be smarter about not getting busted. And then, you know, stuff happening where he kind of has to, you know, forget about that idea and either embrace his fate or find a way to like barrel through it. So you have that in, you have that in uh, Thief, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you have that in Heat with all of them, but especially the Dennis Havers- Haysbert character. Yes. Uh, you have it in um, Black Hat too. Black Hat. You have it yeah. in Public Enemies. Granted, that's based on a true story, but still. Yeah. Uh, and then you have it in Luck, which is finally like is the kind of the full circle moment 
where he comes back and does a movie with Dustin Hoffman. And in Luck, uh, you know, that's about Dustin, the, it opens with Dustin Hoffman getting out of prison and then, you know, embarking on this like weird revenge thing, but also kind of trying to go straight. So like as recently as that and Black Hat, man is still toying around with these themes and this, this plot uh, device and these ideas from all the way back from straight time. It's um, Luck, another series that was like devastatingly short-lived because it was David Milch. I love Michael Luck. Michael Mann, Dustin Hoffman, Nick Nolte are like yeah. your four big guys. And you're like, oh, give me more. Yeah, I, I love Luck. Um, David Milch is like maybe my favorite like screenwriter ever. Um, yeah. But that was not a relationship that was ever going to work <laughs> between him and man. And I no. guess you can't kill like 10 horses on a show these days. So. <laughs> I think the horses are actually a cover for them not working <laughs> well together. <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> was it the horses? They're like, we have to cancel it because the horses. <laughs> it's like, no, they were butting heads. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, because Milch shows are David Milch. Yeah. Right. And Michael Mann movies are oh, Michael, Michael Mann movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I can see really... them working together well for a pilot. Yeah. And maybe a finale. Yeah, apparently and, and... they did not get along in that pilot, though. Like, Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Milch walked into the editing bay with a baseball bat and just stood there. <laughs> and I think Michael Madison, like, David, what are you doing? And he's just like, he didn't say anything. And he just stood there. <laughs> Talks a little bit about it in his uh, very, very good memoir that came out. Uh last year called life's work which i highly recommend oh man. But that's a david milch memoir, a david milch memoir. Oh, okay <laughs> zach is our best and worst guest for recommending stuff that i now have to immediately buy i know i have like <laughs> I have a whole list the, 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 the amazon cart is filling right now <laughs> i know um we need like a, a zach film festival of mm -hmm. all these movies that we've been talking about because it just sounds like they all go together so yeah. well also yes. when you were talking about one crazy night movies i was like Collateral and After Hours double feature. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, the one that I would recommend the double feature. I'm going to do one more. Throw out one more. Uh, and if ever you do a, uh, if you want to keep up with the Vice podcasts, uh, if ever there's a uh, Vice Squad. Podcast, Vice Squad. Uh, let me throw that in because that is so real quick on this story. Uh, so yeah. Vice Squad is this great one of my favorite movies ever. It's a great '80s thriller. It's kind of the same idea as Terminator except instead of a robot, it's a psychotic cowboy pimp. And instead of the mother- of Except the for savior, a robot, it's a psychotic cowboy pimp. Okay, uh, yep. And then instead of the mother of the savior of humanity, it's the uh, prostitute who turned him into the cops. And then there's a cop who's a very Michael Mann looking cop, like wearing a like members only jacket, like <laughs> Steve McQueen looking dude. And it's just like one night in LA where mm. the pimp's trying to kill the hooker, the hooker's going around doing her regular like night's work and the cop's trying to stop the pimp. And it's this really great, and here's the thing, it sounds exploitative and it sounds sleazy and it kind of is, but it's so well-made uh, and it's actually like a lot smarter than you would think. Uh, the performances are great. Um, Wings Hauser is the pimp. He you would know him as the lawyer that gets his ass handed to him by Bruce McGill in the scene in The Insider. Yes. Mm -hmm. The one he yells at, that's he's uh he's, You wipe the smirk off your face. Yeah. So he's <laughs> yeah. he's playing the pimp, um, Ramrod, who is just one of the most terrifying characters. Anyway, it's also Ramrod. Ramrod. 
Uh, oh my god. This is going right straight right to the top of the watch list. Mm -hmm. Number set one. In, set in a lot of the same areas as collateral. Uh so all like one night uh crazy shit happening at, during this like very intense uh you know cat and mouse game um so that's the one i would recommend i will say there's one short story it does not paint michael mann in the best light i don't know the details but that movie uh inherent vice or sorry uh vice squad is directed, vice squad. directed by gary sherman mm -hmm. very good very underrated director um yeah, it's a couple Not to other, be confused like, with Hollywood Vice Squad, which is the one that's no, actually no, no. available. It's yeah, they are different. Uh last I checked Vice Squad, you can you can probably it was it did become available on streaming relatively recently. So hmm. but yeah, not to be confused with Hollywood Vice Squad. That's a different exploitation movie. But <laughs> Gary Gary Sherman is a very good director. Um and uh kind of a John Carpenter-esque, uh infusing uh a lot of genre stuff with uh kind of a, a much a, a deeper political band and like much smarter than you would expect maybe based on the log lines mm -hmm. he he when he first started in hollywood he like man uh was a commercial director and him michael mann and jonathan demi formed a production company early on uh before any of them kind of had their break into features when they were still uh you know developing stuff and the only quote that he has about that that uh gary sherman has is he said in an interview when asked about that he said jonathan demi was one of the sweetest human beings to ever live uh i love that man and miss him dearly michael mann is one of the most evil men to ever live and i will never forgive him for what he did to me and jonathan so i don't know the details behind that he's never gone into that but that gary. is gary <laughs> gary Wow, now I need to know what happened. <laughs> How do we get him on the show? I know. Gary, give us a call. Miami a nice squad. One Let's do this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, is he still is he still around? Still around, yes. He's okay. Still around. He hasn't I don't think he's made anything for a while, but he is still around. Uh all right. Well, that's a you are a font of stories, Zach. Right, I could right. just like listen to your recommendations and your stories forever because uh, that was really fun. We barely even talked about collateral, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we just got you on the pod, and that's all that matters. You did, Zach. Thank you so much for being a part of Absolutely. One Heat Minute Productions and Collateral Confessions, Miami Nice, Jericho Mall, or like all this great stuff. It's so, you're so great to talk to. Please plug where people can find all of your great stuff. And we'll obviously link to the Crooked Marquee Jer Jericho Mall piece and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, please plug, plug away. Um, you can, uh, I, I post most of my stuff uh, like through, I'm not really using Twitter and X that much anymore, but I'll still share things on there. So you I can't find call me it at, X. I can't call yeah. it X, it's Twitter. No, Twitter. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Zach underscore Vasquez um or on instagram i i all post things there uh at z vasquez uh and yeah uh just uh any my writings all up there uh to be found so and on crooked marquee and mm -hmm. guardian and fangorian and stuff so amazing thank you so much thank you so much this has been wonderful and now katie and i need to start digging into the richard oh, sorry the gary sherman files and uh see if we can <laughs> yes. find this guy you will, I think you'll be uh, very, uh, very happy to do that. Oh, yeah, Vice good. Squad sounds great. Can't wait, can't wait. Okay. Thank you guys, it's been a blast. Thank you.
es tremendo culo. Esa jevita está enterita, tiene tremendo culo. Está tan linda, está tan rica y tiene tremendo culo. Yeah. Es rica chiquita, pero qué importa si tiene tremendo culo. Sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.